0: Hey there, we're dropping into your feed to give you an exclusive look at an all new podcast from some friends called First with Kareem Rama. First is a funny show about spectacular people who had a serious impact on society and culture because they were first. Do you know the first Asian American woman to become a nightly news anchor or the first Arab person to be nominated for an Oscar or the first non-white player in the NBA? Probably not, but that's why we made this show. Comedian and host Kareem Rama tells the untold stories of BIPOC icons that you won't want to miss. By the way, I'm Kareem Rama, and I don't know why I'm talking about myself in the third person. But more importantly, in my hands, these stories turn into laugh-out-loud episodes as I recount the life stories of these legends to fellow comedians like Alyssa Lampiris, Rami Youssef, Nimesh Patel, and more. Trust me, we laugh and learn a lot along the way. You're about to hear an episode of FIRST. After you listen, be sure to search FIRST with Kareem Rama wherever you get your podcasts to hear the rest of the season. You can also click the link in the episode notes. FIRST is out now wherever you get your podcasts. All right, so usually I have this little test before we begin episodes. I'm going to show you a picture. Yep. Do you know who this person is?
1: Yeah, of course. Whomst? Omar Sharif, man, come on. Yeah. I'm, I'm trying to. He's actually my style icon at the moment. He might be yours too.
0: I do appreciate the fact that both of us wore our Omar Sharif outfits, aka yeah, the stash. Yeah. I know. It's so tight, and we've been doing it. I'm relieved that you passed this little test. The comedians are a lot smarter than I thought they would be. <laughs> But not too much smarter, but probably, like, just the bar's so low, right? Yeah, it's just like, do you recognize Connie Chung? Yeah, yeah. Of course I do. (laughs) What's up, y'all? I'm Kareem Rama, and welcome to FIRST, a funny show about spectacular people who had a serious impact on society and culture because they were FIRST. On this episode, we are joined by the comedian, writer, actor, Golden Globe winner, and unbelievably handsome Rami Youssef. And today, I'm going to tell Rami the story of one of the most legendary people in Hollywood, Omar Sharif. The first Arab American... Oh, fuck, I say that every time. The first Arab actor to be nominated for an Academy Award. We're so used to saying Arab American. No. I know. He's
1: just Arab. We love, we're just slapping American <laughs> on everything. I think I'm getting the premise of the podcast already. Yeah. <laughs> well, thanks for the interruption. I'm not going to let you re record the intro part. <laughs> this well, will be in the episode. No. Yeah. Okay. I fine. get
0: final edit, maybe. Fine. Not only am I Egyptian, Rami Youssef's Egyptian, and our subject is Egyptian. That's not the only thing we have in common. All three of us are extremely handsome and good-looking. Although the only person who's ever said it to me is my grandmother. Shout out, Manira. What did she? Wait, they said
1: that's called you good-looking. You, Camille. No, yeah, no, you get that. Come on.
0: Omar Sharif lived one of the most interesting lives ever lived. He was an Egyptian actor who first rose to international stardom through the 1962 Hollywood blockbuster, Lawrence of Arabia. At the time, this was groundbreaking since he was cast to play an Arab character.
1: Before that, yeah, where they were just kind of like painting white people brown.
0: Yeah, and they were using Indian people. India right. like, India's further than the Middle East. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know it. Like, why did they go... We'll just skip this part. So, guys, if you're afraid of
1: dark people, Arabs are are more white, technically.
0: <laughs> yeah, Caucasian. The, yeah,
1: well, that's like—that was for voting rights. So, there were Syrians here back in the day, and they basically fought to make Arabs white so that they could own land and so that they could vote. They'd be like, no, 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 we are we just been out in the sun— Right, <laughs> Like, no, no, we've just been out <laughs> with our crops. That's right. why we look darker, but but we're white. We're white. Yeah, yeah, and that was so they could own land, because you couldn't own land if you weren't white. You couldn't even own land if you were a woman. I didn't know any of this. That's why there is not a, a Middle East box yet. But I think the way we get our own box is by kind of pretending like we don't want to leave the box. I so we should be like, dude, well, keep us in the box. Dude, it's so they're nice. Trying to, they're trying to make a Middle East box. We like having the white box. <laughs> Just protesting. Yeah, yeah, we protest. We should protest protest
0: it. But we should let all the Arabs know that they have to get behind this cause. Yeah, Arabs love a a subplot. They'd be like, yeah, we can (laughs) do this. Yeah, it's like, we uh, could do this. Yeah, Yeah, we'll get in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm going to get back to it, Rami. (laughs) So, in that Lawrence of Arabia role, the world got to see his deep brown eyes, thick mustache, and slick and black hair sounds like I'm describing you but I'm describing Omar Sharif I just want you to know that I remember a few years back I was reading this interview from 1995 in the New York Times it was called at lunch with Omar Sharif eternally romantic Mm. and it was so damn beautiful and this is how it opens Omar Sharif kisses my hand delicately as if it might break oh
1: so Egyptian so the hand kiss next line
0: Champagne, he whispers. Oh no, I demur. He is crestfallen. To come here and not have a glass of champagne? You have some for both of us, I say. He picks up the menu. Are you going to have caviar? I nod, not trusting myself to speak. He looks deep into my eyes. Do you like it to have some taste?
1: Uh, This is crazy. I mean, an interview with the press today is just like a Zoom link. At 9.15 in the morning. This is like the most romantic description of anything, actually, that I've ever heard. It's not even a rom-com. No, it's just straight up a romance.
0: It's no wonder that he became an international sex symbol. But what makes his story so interesting isn't his success or looks, but the drive of a mischievous man searching for life in every possible way. Our story starts in 1932, when Michael Dimitri Shaloub was born in Egypt. But I'm going to call him Omar Sharif for the rest of the story, and we'll get into the why later. Omar was of Lebanese descent, but he was born and bred Egyptian, spending most of his childhood in Cairo. His family was upper class. Omar's father owned a lucrative precious woods business that afforded him many powerful connections.
1: So the Michael Shalhoub, because Omar Sharif's Christian— Born Christian. See, that always threw me off because Omar is such a Muslim name. Yeah. It's the reverse of what happened later in Hollywood. He put on a name to be more Muslim. Right. And then like late 90s, early O's, everyone named Muhammad's changing their name to Mike. To Mike. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then you've got this guy in the back who's like, Nah, nah, I got to go. We'll we'll get to it later.
0: We'll get to it later, but he did it for love. Anyways... The ruler of Egypt, King Farouk, regularly visited their family home to play cards with Sharif's elegant and charming mother, who was also a notable socialite. The king believed Omar's mother was his good luck charm, and he wouldn't play without her. When he was in the mood, he'd make Omar's mother play even if she'd been asleep. And if she wanted to stop, the king would insist she keep playing. It's like a... I don't know. It sounds like a Wes Anderson movie. Yeah, it it really does. Imagine Joe Biden coming over to play cards with your mom. It feels believable, actually. Biden feels like he's mostly playing cards. <laughs> well, uh, Mr. Joe, if you're listening, we would like to stay in the white census box. <laughs> Kareem and Rami, yeah. speaking for all Middle Easterners and yes. Arabs in America, Yes, we just want you to know... That we love being white. Thank you. All right. Now, Joe Biden, stop listening for a second. Dear Arabs, this is just part of a bigger plan to get out of the box. That's how we leave the box. That's how we leave the box. It's an out-of-the-box plan to get out of the box. (laughs) It's like a Seinfeld episode. They're in the box. They want to get out the box. Who, by the way, Arab? Yeah. Syrian, Syrian origins. Yeah. I think I was looking up what number on the list Omar Sharif was in terms of like winning an Oscar or a gold Nice. BMO. And like number one was Jerry Seinfeld. I was like, what the fuck article <laughs> is this? That's not You know not that's fair. like an,
1: an Arab with like an IMDb Pro account. He's, he's like, like you gotta know. It's like uh, Steve Jobs. Arab. Arab. And they'd be like, the iPhone, it's Arab.
0: Next time somebody's like, "Yeah, when's the last time Arabs ever invented something?" I'd be like, "iPhone did." iPhone,
1: pyramids. Then we brewed up the iPhone. We took a
0: break in the middle, but it's all right. It's all right. You know what else is all right? Us continuing with the story. Are you okay with that? <laughs> I'm done. I'm So his mom's playing cards with the king of Egypt, very casual, his dad selling wood. And as a kid, Omar's parents noticed that he took to languages easily. He learned French from his mother and English when he went to an English boarding school when he was 10 years old. Aha! Fate would have it that Sharif's boarding school also had a theater program. And it's there, at age 13, he realizes his passion for acting. But he wouldn't be allowed to pursue it. His dad told him he must take over the family's... Wood business. Excellent. Omar was so distraught that he slit his wrists. Although, it was later revealed that this was just a dramatic gesture. He was acting. He just wanted to show his dad how passionate he was about acting. But he did slit his wrists. You know, in the research, it said he slit his wrists. Yeah. But it was just for show. So yes, but I don't know how you do that. (laughs) It just kind of sounds like he just slid his wrists. I mean... If I was him, I would have done makeup.
1: Yeah, but I, I, mean, I don't know if they had that stuff at the boarding school. Just like ketchup?
0: <laughs> All right, so he just wanted to show his dad how passionate he was for acting. Sharif was also fast becoming a ladies' man, selling his possessions to take girlfriends out to dinner if his parents refused to give him extra money.
1: By the way, that sounds like an addiction.
0: Which like part?
1: Well, like, like... the dating? Yeah, like selling your alarm clock to take a woman out. I mean, that's that's like a meth addiction. <laughs> like, you're literally pawning things off to take a girl to go get, like, a Tameya sandwich. I mean, this
0: is dark. So, around 1953, Omar graduated from Cairo University with a degree in mathematics and physics and reluctantly joined his father's lumber company. But that didn't last long. He defied his father's wishes, and in 1954, Omar began his acting career with a lead role in a film called Struggle in the Valley. In Arabic, that's Sira Filwedi, which was written and directed by Yusuf Shaheen, one of Egypt's most renowned filmmakers. Legend. He's often referred to as the Egyptian Fellini, and it's a known fact that Shaheen is the one that launched Omar's career. I just found out about Yusuf Shaheen. Oh, dude. About three months ago. Dude.
1: It took me a while, too. Like, I think it was my early 20s where I realized how dope Egyptian cinema was. But that's the problem. I think, like, Egyptian parents, they just have, like, temps of days and soap operas and stuff on. I asked my parents, I'm like, why are we watching all this garbage? Like, Ramadan. <laughs> <laughs> like, just people overacting and crying. And then you go back and watch Yusuf Shaheen. Oh, man, It's unbelievable.
0: So Omar starred alongside Fatin Hamana, then known as Egypt's Shirley Temple because she was a star who made her film debut at seven years old. Fatin typically refused to do any kind of PDA on screen, but she made an exception for the handsome Omar. The two kissed on screen, which caused quite a stir in Egypt, and immediately there were rumors swirling about the two having an affair. As the rumors continued... The two actually did start to hook up, and they fell in love. A year later, Omar asked her to marry him. But there was one problem. Omar was raised Catholic and Fatin was Muslim. Omar converted to Islam, which also meant changing his name. He, like, really didn't feel conflicted about this. Yeah. It was like changing your order at McDonald's. Right. (laughs) No guilt. Ready. No shame. He was just like, this is cool.
1: If he was pawning off stuff just to have dinner, he'll switch religions up for, yeah,
0: for Fenton. Come on. <laughs> in his words. The name Michael annoyed me. I tried to come up with something that sounded Middle Eastern and could still be spelled in every language. O-mar. Two syllables that had a good ring and reminded Americans of General Omar Bradley. Is that why you chose the name Rami? Two syllables?
1: at the time of birth uh, was not asked.
0: No consent. Okay, so Omar and Fadzen's marriage was very public and written about in the Egyptian press as a true symbol of love for all Egyptians. They were basically the Pete Davidson and Ariana Grande of Egypt. Or the Pete Davidson and Kaya Gerber of Egypt. Or the Pete Davidson and Kim Kardashian of Egypt. Uh, You get the picture, right? Two years later, in 1957, they had their only child, a son named Tariq Sharif. So the family's happy as hell at this point. They're both huge movie stars in Egypt. They make seven films together, creating a mini-genre called Faten and Omar films, which in Arab cinema studies represent the romantic era during the golden age of Egyptian cinema. All told, Sharif appears in 23 movies during this time. The entire country adores him and his wife. Life is good. He's a full-fledged movie star in Egypt. Like, pioneer shit. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and especially, too, like, you know, within the bounds of what you could pull off in the Middle East on screen, which actually back then was probably more liberal than now. You know, way more sex scenes or things that are considered revealing or whatever that now were are kind of in a more conservative state. For sure. Probably globally. But he was still dancing through lasers with what he could pull off, so.
0: Would you put him in Rami?
1: you know i'm it's it's not even a because he passed like maybe right before we we were like i remember yeah. us feeling like man if he was around oh so you guys had the conversation oh my god yeah of course well it's also funny too because it was you know when we were making that pilot you know they always want People who were in things before, mm-hmm. you know, like referencing. Yep. And I remember us being like, well, the greatest reference point just died. Because <laughs> like, that would have been amazing. Right. I mean, oh my God, Omar Sharif as my grandpa. Oh. I've been like, dear God. I mean, just. That would have been legendary. It would have been unbelievable. Yep. And I've talked to some people in his family too who were like, he would have been down.
0: Oh, I know. That would have been so cool. I know. What can you do, man? It's God's plan. Let me start next by reading a quote. Omar's voice. If somebody comes to you and says he wants to make a film that's four hours long, with no stars and no women and no love story and not much action either, and he wants to spend a huge amount of money to go film it in the desert, what would you say? What would you say, Rami? Um... Tell me more. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's what Omar said about his big break and the film that would make him an international superstar. In 1959, British director David Lean, who was widely considered to be one of the most influential directors of all time, was casting for his new film, Lawrence of Arabia. After many of his original choices turned it down... Lean cast Omar, who was originally slated for a much smaller role. Until this time, Omar had never acted outside of Egypt or in English. He was basically just a big fish in a very small pond. This is huge! Lawrence of Arabia was a massive cinematic undertaking. It took Lean over three years to finish the film and shooting alone took about a year and a half with an enormous crew in the desert. The cast and crew lived in tents with the nearest town being 150 miles away, and Sharif recounts that there were 300 men with brooms on set whose entire job was to sweep the tracks in the sand from the camera to the horizon. Not to mention the fact that there are literally 450 horses on set, as well as 150 camels. Oh my god, dude. Like, imagine that set in the middle of the desert with 450 horses, 150 camels.
1: And anyone who's been on a film set knows it's not even about the animals, it's about the guy with the animals. It's, you know, it's a specific person. He's a specific know. kind of guy. We're lucky, we, when we shoot, we have a great animal guy. But uh, I've dealt with some animal guys that are, uh, it's a tough hang. So now you're Omar Sharif. You started the movie. You're shooting for a year and a half. You're wiped. You're just like, let me just get over to this craft service table, just get some water, some cold water in the middle of the desert. And then you got some guy throwing random horse facts at you. I mean, this is <laughs> this, this is a feat. I think people don't understand how hard it is to make a movie because you got horse guy talking to you, and you got to go on screen and give an Oscar-nominated performance, and you can't get the guy out of your head. You know, he's telling you all these facts about horse legs. Shit. <laughs> Enormous amount of stress You know I never
0: thought about this part Do you think they had handlers or were they just like Hey put a couple horses here Definitely camel guy Like I'm picturing like a little fat dude With like the whip (laughs) Totally And he's just kind of like a piece of shit (laughs) I know he's a piece of shit I feel like all the camel guys are pieces of shit No 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 I met cute ones Cute? Oh my god Like little cute men? Yes Like fat little cute men
1: Literally the description you made but cute like not a piece of shit Just a little cute guy with a, Like we were shooting in the desert In Cairo Camel guy Adorable Just best smile you've ever seen We, we asked him to be on camera Because he was
0: so cute The camel actually saved Peter O'Toole's life On set They were doing this famous scene It was the charge of Akba mm-hmm. And there was like 450 dudes on real horses And Sharif and Peter O'Toole were on camels Because they were like the leaders and peter o'toole fell off of his camel but the camel was so well trained that it like hovered over him and protected him so you're right there was a camel guy Wow! and like it protected him from being trampled by a stampede coming isn't that crazy crazy? it's actually sick such beautiful animals dude they're amazing peter o'toole was actually this he was injured multiple times uh during filming he received 3rd degree burns sprained both his ankles tore ligaments in both his hip and his thigh, broke his thumb, dislocated his spine, fractured his skull, was bitten by a camel, uh, sprained his neck, tore a groin muscle, and had two concussions. What? I mean, this is like an Englishman in the middle of the desert. Like riding camels and horses in this huge cinematic feat. And Omar Sharif is like, dude, I've I've done I've like been I've been here. Like I've already done this before. Like this is chill. Dude. And Peter is like, what the fuck is going on? Wow. He aged like six hundred years. Have you seen the movie by the way? Yeah, of course. I didn't know any of this shit though. <laughs> Peter O'Toole looks mad, uncomfortable the whole time. Yeah, he does. Doesn't he? I have to watch it with the injury history in mind. <laughs> So that happened to Peter O'Toole. But Omar loved his time on set, noting that the crew was camping together. When the day's work was done, they would drink and bond with each other. And Sharif got especially close to Peter. They bonded immediately and developed a lifelong friendship. In his memoir, Omar describes having champagne baths together. Does that mean they were drinking champagne in the bath? I was imagining that they filled it up, like the tub, with champagne. Oh. Isn't that what a champagne bath is? This is the first time I'm hearing of,
1: it, <laughs> of the whole thing. I actually don't take baths in general that much. So maybe I'm a little out of my depth. The only time that I ever took baths was like when I would have a breakup. I'd feel like, oh, this is time to get in the bath and shed that. Relationship. That's cool. Yeah, I'm not. I'm happy, so I'm not taking (laughs) baths. (laughs) Baths really do have a sad. Just have a sadness to them, where they're like, like, what's going on? What are you going through that you got to put yourself fully in water? (laughs) And like, because that takes time, right? You got to fill it up. You got to be so sad that you don't care about time for a while. And you're like, let me fill this up. Let me get in here. Let me make it impossible to touch anything I care about because I'm so underwater. i'm only thinking about this now this way because i am thinking about how much time it takes to fill a bath and i almost wonder if that's what it's about for him it's just taking time it's like prayer or something and maybe they did that together with some champagne right it was meditative that's what i'm thinking if you're out there for a year and a half dude's got all
0: these injuries have you ever been approached to do a headspace recording you have a very suitable. You think I should? Mood. Yeah, when you just, when did, I just this, did that, did I, I get I, you in that space? I, I was zoned. You were ready. I was zen the fuck out. Like I would love for you to do that. Could you send them this? Yeah, <laughs> sure. Let me call my guy. <laughs> all right, guys. All right. We're derailed. We gotta get back into this episode. Back to the movie that changes life. Maybe even the scene that changes life. The scene is highly regarded as one of the greatest character introductions of all time. Here's how it goes. It's absolutely silent. Two men stand in the desert at a well. One of them is Lawrence, and the other is his guide, Tatas. They stare off into the distance far, far away. What can only be described as a black ghost flutters in the distance. It appears to come closer and closer. The audience and the characters may as well believe that this is a desert mirage. But no. The black ghost reveals itself to be a man on a camel. Who could it be? Tatas runs to grab his gun. As he aims it, he gets shot immediately by the ghostly figure. The ghost approaches, Lawrence, and the camel kneels to the ground. The man in black gets off the camel's back and takes a look at the man he just shot. He very monotonically says, he is dead. He pulls the scarf down from his face. It's Omar Sharif, handsome, charming, beautiful. Lawrence looks like he's going to have a heart attack. He says, why? Omar responds, this is my well. Lawrence says, I have drunk from it. Omar replies, you're welcome.
1: Banging. Unbelievable. Should we act it out? Should- I think you just did. Shotgun, I get to be Omar. You just did it. <laughs> that was chilling. It's like, what? I know we just did it, but I really wanted to it again. Why? That's the line. I know. I've, I, you just fucking broke it. I just started it. I was like half into doing it, and then I did it, and then you. Now I'm not doing it. It's over. Okay. One more. No, no. It's it's the moment passed.
0: <laughs> I'm gonna trick you into saying why again.
1: You can probably steal it from the recording and then do the other part. Oh no! This is all going on the podcast.
0: <laughs> Me trying to get a scene off. Are trying to get a scene off with my boy Rami, dude? Yeah, we work together. Oh, uh, dude, we, we, just, we were scene partners, actually. Uh, we did this one scene from Lawrence of Arabia. Yeah, we're doing, like, a bunch of scenes for Headspace. Just a double-decker? Yeah. Double Dream Team Squad? Let me get back to the story. Premiere night changed his life. He was a bona fide star in a hit movie. It was a huge financial success and widely acclaimed by critics and audiences alike. Its visual style has influenced so many directors, including George Lucas, Stanley Kubrick, Martin Scorsese, Ridley Scott, Brian De Palma, Oliver Stone, and Steven Spielberg, who called the film a miracle. Lawrence of Arabia was nominated for 10 Oscars and won seven, including Best Picture and Best Director. But while he didn't win, Omar was nominated for Best Supporting Actor, making him the first Arab actor to ever be nominated for an Oscar. It was his very first Hollywood film. Technically speaking, he was also the first Muslim to be nominated for an Oscar as well, although I don't think religion played a very big part in his life.
1: Well, that's the thing, you know, that's the, even in the premise of the, of the podcast, right? First, especially when it comes to something like that, it's so, yeah, it's so tricky. I remember the night of the Golden Globes and I was doing like a press interview and someone was like, how does it feel to be the first Muslim American who could win the comedy lead male actor Golden Glo-? I'm like, man, you guys are stretching. And then she's asking me this question and I'm like, I wouldn't even be the first. Like, I think Aziz won this. And like, so he's not doesn't he count? And then and then she's kinda like, an Arab. And I'm like, it's is not this isn't accurate. <laughs> like me and Aziz aren't even in the same box. He checks Southeast he does. Asia. He has a Southeast Asian box. But I mean he's this is a Muslim man. You of know, course. I mean there's also might be people who've won Oscars or have done things who were Muslim but didn't tell anybody. For Omar, nah, look, I mean, if you got married and did something under religious pressure, uh, sound pretty Muslim
0: to me. <laughs> you know, we'll, we'll give it to him We'll give it to him Oh yeah, I give him, I mean, I'll we give him give all the it to him. Later in life, Sharif claimed to be baffled by the film's success Saying it was just a bunch of dudes riding camels In his words I think it is a great film But I am not very good in it I also never thought anyone would go see the film Three hours and 40 minutes of desert And no girls That's the addiction speaking <laughs> I can't, don't. Even, can't even see his own work Imagine being nominated for Oscar and be like, I don't know why you guys like this movie. (laughs) That's a tough perspective to have. Can't even see your own work. So Omar teamed up with David Lean a few years later in 1965 for Dr. Zhivago, this time in the starring role of Yuri Zhivago. The film ended up being one of the best works by both Lean and Sharif. Like Lawrence of Arabia, it was also nominated for 10 Oscars, winning five this time, and is in the top 10 highest grossing films ever in the U.S., once adjusted for inflation. Though he was already developing a reputation in Hollywood for being a player, when his co-star Julie Christie propositioned him, Sharif turned her down. She ate fried egg sandwiches every morning, and he found that gross. Wow. I tend to agree. That's
1: wild. Deal breaker. He must have been allergic to eggs because the way that he viewed life, for
0: that to get in the way, that's wild. I think it's the best sentence I've ever read. She ate fried egg sandwiches every morning and he found that gross. So this whole time, he is still married. So what's,
1: yeah, what's going, I, this timeline is so new to me.
0: Essentially, what happened is he was in love with acting and he was in love with his life so much so that he might have forgotten about the love of his life back home in Egypt. Fatin. President Nasser of Egypt imposed exit visa travel restrictions that forced Sharif to start living in Europe year-round for the sake of his career. Convinced that he'd not be able to remain faithful, he told Fatin that they'd be better off getting a divorce and they separated in 1965. It was tragic and he would forever describe her as the love of his life and would later declare that no other women had ever won his heart after her. Just like that, the living symbol of love for many Egyptians, it was over.
1: Yeah, I mean, Hollywood will do that. Undescribable heights of fame. I mean, I have no idea what that does to a brain.
0: I mean, I can't imagine it would be easy. No, nah, I feel for her. I feel for her and him. It's just in a certain capacity. For sure. In that same interview that, that he is this romantic in 1995, he's like, I, I never loved again. He's like, I had a lot of flings, but I, that is the love of my life. She's the only person I've ever loved Every other breakup never hurt. It just, it was meaningless. And he's alone and old and sad and essentially regretful. Yeah. Which is crazy. Right. That's, yeah. So Sharif's reputation as a player continued to grow. He frequented discos, casinos, and would rarely turn down an opportunity to charm. He had a lot of affairs. One month here, one month there was the way he described it. Sharif lived life as a bachelor, mostly alone in a hotel in Paris. He told himself it was for the best because they cleaned up after him, and if he ever got bored, he could just go hang out in the lobby bar. They always kept stool-free for Omar. Honestly, I feel like he's what many would call a rolling stone. In his words... From the age of 31, I have lived in hotels. In the room, I do not have anything personal, only my Armani suits. I wear a few each year and then I donate them. In my room, there is neither a book nor a photo. In Duval, the same. And in Cairo, I have a small apartment with some memories, the minimum. If they give an award to me, I accept it, I am grateful for it, and I leave it in the hotel. I do not have a car, I do not have possessions. There's a part of it that's sad, sure. But
1: also, like, OG minimalist, huh?
0: (laughs) I mean, maybe I read it sadly. Maybe he meant to say it like... Like, he could have read it like a TikToker. Like, he's like... (laughs) Dude, from the age of 31, I have lived in hotels. In the room, I don't have anything personal. Only my Armani suits. I wear a few each year, and then I donate them. In my room, there's neither a book nor a photo. So... His next big move would forever lock in his reputation. In 1968, Sharif was cast in the iconic Funny Girl with Barbara Streisand. The studio released publicity photos, one of which showed Omar and Barbara kissing. Not a big deal, right? Well, it just so happened that war broke out between Israel and Egypt, and the sight of an Egyptian man kissing a Jewish woman suddenly got political. It pissed everyone off. The film's Jewish backers wanted Omar kicked off the movie and protests broke out in Egypt demanding that his citizenship be revoked. They also banned the movie from playing in Egypt before it even came out. The two were unfazed. They continued to have a very public affair while filming. Honestly, it probably made the movie better. It was a huge success becoming the highest grossing film that year and netting eight Oscar nominations but the affair only lasted 4 months. Sharif wanted to be with her so badly that he offered to convert to Judaism. I'm sensing a pattern here. Wow. She wanted to live in New York and that's where Omar drew the line. He hated New York and refused, so they broke up.
1: So it, it like it became a classic like New York
0: versus LA fight. Like yeah. that's what it came down to. Literally. This is a really crazy fact. He was like, "I'll be Jewish." She was like, you got to live in New York. He was like, I'm out. <laughs> the handsome romantic moved on pretty quickly. He dated the French icon Catherine Navois. Next was German-American actress Barbara Boucher. Then it was the Playboy bunny Pat Sheehan and the breakout actress Dottie Marshall. When he wasn't getting his precon, he was tending to his racehorses and spending time at the racetrack or playing cards with the boys he was obsessed with bridge and how obsessed slash good was he? Well, he was a grandmaster at one point ranking among the top 50 best players in the world. He once said, acting is my profession. Bridge is my passion. But bridge came with a price, not just a gambler in love. He was always willing to risk it all. And that may have been what spurred his downfall. Bridge came with a price is Kind
1: of hilarious But continue Why? Bridge came with a price <laughs> That's the you're movie like it's it. Yeah, it sounds like, like The dark side of bridge
0: So, he gambled a lot A lot, a lot. And sometimes he won. On one occasion in 1966, after getting rejected by a girl, he got blackout drunk, gambled all his money, had no idea what was going on, but the casino manager came over and handed him a gigantic sum of cash. Somehow, he had won $1 million, which back then is about $10 million, and he was worried he'd be robbed leaving the casino with that much cash, so he got into a car and drove to Rome. The next day, he sent the girl that wouldn't come up to his room five literal truckloads of flowers, 25 tons, to thank her for rejecting him. Wildest thing I ever did was send a mariachi band. You sent a mariachi band? This girl wouldn't go on a date with me, and I was like, well, if I send a mariachi band, she might. Did it work? No. Yeah. She said, she didn't say anything. She just didn't.
1: She She sent a mariachi band back (laughs) to say no. Wait, is that a bit in any sitcom? It's very, it's very Friends.
0: I was gonna be like, oh, dude, maybe you should put it in season four of Rami, right? Are you gonna write it down? Yeah, I, wrote, I wrote it down. It? You'll just remember. I wrote. It? <laughs> I didn't see you writing. You can just remember it. I remember it. And it, don't even worry about like credit. Like I don't need the credit. Okay. I mean, but if you use it, I would like just a shout out like special thanks. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if I use it.
1: Definitely the special thanks. Thanks, dude. I appreciate it.
0: Okay, so back to Omar Sharif. On more than one occasion, he gambled everything and he lost. In his words. In one evening, I entered the casino and I was a millionaire. And I walked out at six in the morning. I had only enough for my cup of coffee. Three or four times I've done this. His gambling addiction, he admitted, was madness, but he could not stop. He blamed boredom and the loneliness of living out of a suitcase. To pay off his debts, he started taking any role, no matter how garbage it was. In his words, I'd call my agent and tell him, find me any trash, I need money. And he once stated, I went 25 years without making a good film. He wouldn't have the chance to star in another real blockbuster until 1999, when he was in The 13th Warrior, where he played alongside Antonio Banderas, but even that film was a box office flop, losing almost $129 million. Sharif was so embarrassed at the film's failure that he announced he'd retired from filmmaking. And he also gave up on gambling. Mm. And as he grew old, his lifestyle started to catch up with him. After years of smoking what he claims was 100 cigarettes a day, he started to have heart problems and had triple bypass surgery in 1993. He didn't tell anyone about the surgery. There in England, as he sat in the hospital alone, he decided to move back to Egypt. He never smoked again. Secret Surgery. Secret surgery. Yeah. Is this a common thing you've heard of?
1: No, but I wouldn't have heard of it because people are keeping it secret. It's true.
0: It wasn't until he turned 80 that he finally seemed to slow down. By then, he had slipped into a melancholy routine. Sleep till noon, bathe, then walk the streets of Paris. He spent his last days with his son Tarek and his two grandsons Omar and Karim. He passed away by heart attack in 2015, just six months after his ex-wife Fatin died. His funeral was held at the Grand Mosque of Mushir Tandawi in Cairo, and his casket was draped in the Egyptian flag on top of a black shroud. And that was the end of Omar Sharif. Though things got rough, he's still remembered for being a cheerful, talented, and charismatic artist who opened the door for international heartthrobs in American media. In the end, Omar wasn't sure if becoming famous was good for him. In his words, if I had never made Lawrence of Arabia, if I had not become known in the Western world, I'm not sure whether I would not have been a happier person. Not that I'm an unhappy person. I had a good marriage, I had a child, I had a wonderful life. I was an actor in Egypt, and my wife was also, and we had a wonderful time. Suddenly, I became famous, and life separated us. And our marriage was over, and I never really fell in love again.
1: Um, Yeah, it's really interesting, like, him reflecting on the exposure that he got and what that meant for him. And I think even to this idea of being a first, there is no blueprint for someone like him from that region seeing what he saw and having the amount of success that he had. There's no, there's nothing to look to in how to handle it.
0: Mm-hmm. An Omar Sharif revival in Rami would have actually been very good for everyone involved. <laughs> it
1: would have been amazing. You would have died I would, a happy
0: man. We would have had a good time. Man. I mean, inshallah. We'll 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 hope so. That that's what would have happened.
1: <laughs> that's probably I've heard inshallah used very liberally. That's the one that's made the least sense ever. But that's I also, good. No, after I said it. <laughs> no, I like I, it though. I like no, it. No, after I said it, I was like <laughs> if God wills it in the past. But I think that's an inshallah that acknowledges how little we know about time.
0: I can't tell if you're messing with me now.
1: Um, or if am not like, just really ma- to help I mean, me out as my bro, it's a help out, but I think it could sit in something that is potentially real.
0: Okay, great. I'm in the nature I'm in of time.
1: That. I'm not sold on. Inshallah, um, in the past, maybe there's a better word. I mean, it's not just about the word. I think it's probably about the whole sentence. If we were to kind of, <laughs> <laughs> if we're gonna rewind, but I, I, I think if we stood by your inshallah, you know, God willing, of the thing that happened in the past, we could then of talk about time in a way that i think it deserves to be explored True. i'm really at this point just kind of swerving towards the headspace move it's working. this is the headspace
0: play it's yeah working. all of this is the headspace play <laughs> uh, that's nice all right <laughs> and that my friends is the story of omar sharif the first arab actor to be nominated for an academy award Next time on First, make sure to catch me and Sydney Washington as we talk about Connie Chung, the first Asian American to anchor the nightly news at a major network.
2: First is produced by Some Friends and Salt. Ad sales and distribution by Lemonada Media. The show is created and hosted by Kareem Brahma. Executive producers for Some Friends are Kareem Rama, Andrew Kuo, Keilani Esparza, and Amin Ismail. Written by Eamon Ismail, Kareem Rama, and Andrew Kuo. Researched by Eamon Ismail. Original audio production, music, and sound design by SALT. Executive producers for SALT are Noah Gersh, Jamie Sheffman, Nick Panama, and Kenzie Wilbur. SALT Head of Production, Liz LeMay. Salt's Head of Engineering, Jordan Galvin. Salt Head of Post-Production, Robert Adler. Production Manager Alice Byrne, Post-production coordinator Teresa Avila. Recording engineer Aaron Kennedy. Edited and sound designed by Fitz Harris. Dialogue Supervision by Noah Kowalski. Additional sound design and music supervision by Jasper Van Dyke. Mixed by Ben O'Neill. Original music and composition by Jasper Van Dyke and Noah Gersh. Additional music, courtesy of extreme music. Recorded at Salt Studios in Los Angeles and The Cutting Room in New York City.